Greetings, traveler. Welcome aboard the crime machine. My name is Victoria, and I will be your pilot for today's mission. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, I'm back. Yay, I'm so happy to be back in front of this microphone. How is everybody? How's everyone doing in this abnormally hot winter? Well, I'm sure some of you are listening in places where it snows, so you're probably like, what are you talking about, Victoria? But I'm in Florida, and I think a bunch of other places in the South are also going through this, where it is like 75 degrees outside. Yesterday, I'm pretty sure it was 80. I was in a sweater, and I was dying, but you know. So if you have cold weather, and you're experiencing a white Christmas, then yay, can you send some of that my way? I would love that. Thanks. (laughs) What's happened since the last time I talked to you guys? I don't ever prep my intros or my outros. I just prep all of the stuff in the middle. So I just kind of turn the mic on and start talking. Uh, What have I been up to? I've been working. I've been <laughs> prepping for Christmas. Which is... For some reason, Christmas just feels more stressful as far as gift giving this year. And I don't know why that is. Usually every year I kind of have some sort of idea what I want to get people. But I'm just like, other than like a couple few people, I'm just, I'm struggling trying to figure out what to get people. And I don't know why that is. It might be something to do with Mercury and Gatorade. I have no idea. Uh, I saw cats, a couple of days days ago yeah a couple days ago last friday yeah last friday i posted it on my instagram that was a time you know (laughs) uh it's the first professional theater show i've seen in two years since miss kavad's world tour so that was fun i love the theater that it's called the Straz, which is a theater um in my neck of the woods it's a very beautiful theater that I've seen a bunch of before the end of the universe I used to go there all the time to see musicals and I experienced cats live and like I said it was a thing (laughs) uh I did have a good time I think I was just happy to be out of the house a little bit and the music in cats is good the dancing is phenomenal the actors are amazing it's just that the plot is so minuscule that it seems non-existent there is a plot there is a plot it's just all over the place so but I had a good time nonetheless my favorite cat is Skimble Shanks and he is the railroad cat who literally comes in for one song and sings about trains and then leaves and you never see him again and he has no bearing on the any of the story that's happening he just comes in and they he's like I sit on the train and I manage people on the train choo choo and then he leaves and that's why he's my favorite (laughs) last episode we discussed the missing Jameson family that was a really chill fun chat that I got to have with Katie so thank you to Katie once again for being on the pod I'm so upset that our Jonestown episode got deleted it was we talked for almost a solid two hours and it's just gone it's in the ethers of my computer and it's nowhere and it was 
partially my fault because I clicked something on accident and the whole thing just got, it went bye-bye. So that sucked, but I did get to, I mean, I'm friends with Katie, so it was just like we had a two-hour chat about a cult. But if you would like me to cover that in the future, let me know and we could see about maybe redoing it. (laughs) But yeah, last week we talked about Jameson family that case it has so little information that it's insufferable and infuriating because you just want to know what happened and not when right when you think oh this information is made like this these two pieces I connected are making sense you're like I didn't connect none of this it makes any sense because something's thrown in where you're like but that doesn't make any sense which is why I don't like unsolved cases but you know you got to be, if you're going to do a true crime podcast, you have to be, and it doesn't have a specific niche, then you have to kind of be across the board equal with all types of crimes and talk about everything because variety. I've also been doing a lot of writing recently because you probably don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyways because y'all are my friends. So, uh, I've kind of like come to the conclusion of because I'm at a I'm 22 so I'm at a really odd age of trying to figure out what the hell I want to do with my life and for the longest time growing up I had no idea and then I in my teenage years I was like oh I want to be an actor and then I've done like community theater and stuff and I like acting I do like it when I get opportunities to do it however the thing that has brought me the most joy in my life from a very young age is writing and I also really love doing the show and I also get to write stuff for the show and so I'm probably just gonna try to focus on Hopefully getting my GED very soon and then going to community college and hopefully taking some writing classes because I was originally going to do criminology because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I like talking about true crime a lot or or else I would not have a podcast. <laughs> um, and But I don't know if it's something I want to do as my job because if it's my job, I have to focus on it all the time but with this show it's like I have my study time for this that I carve out in my schedule where I do tons and tons of research and read things and I watch things and then I make the show so I talk about it on my own time and I talk about it with my friends and my family and things like that and so I I don't know if it was would be like being a criminologist or being like other things in crime. I can't think of it right now. I do not want to be a cop. No, thank you. Um, But just stuff in the field. I don't know if my whole life was that. I don't know if I would. I think it would just be too much. So, yeah, I've just had a lot of. A lot's happened in the past couple months since I started the show. And the two main things that I've just discovered is that I really, really love making this show. And I really, really love being a writer. So my dad growing up all the time told me he was like, find something that you love to do and just try to make it the thing that you make a living off of. Because, you know... It's it. Uh, he didn't get that opportunity. He kind of just had to do what he had to do because he had children he had to raise. 
So he he's always drilled that into all of us and me and my siblings to just find the thing that you love and then try to make a living off of it. So Victoria's going to try to be a writer and a podcaster. <laughs> so and I'm going to go to college and hopefully take some writing classes and just soak up as much information as I can to try and be a writer one day hopefully write a book one day and you know I have my blog if you would be interested in reading that I've I've written a couple that I'm going to release in the next couple weeks which will be at crimetraveling.wordpress.com and if you go to the top there's a thing that says blog and it will show you all my writing and stuff so yeah random rant therapy session life update is over now I'm looking at the timer and I'm like these people are probably overhearing me talk about this uh but yeah so that's what's going on with me and I hope your life is going amazingly well right now and just know that you know I care about you and I hope every you get everything you want out of life and everything you hope to have whether it's a job or you know a house that you're trying to get or a raise or whatever whatever it is is going in your in your life i hope it's going great and i wish you all the best and i will shut up now and <laughs> we will get to today's case so when i was thinking about what i wanted to do i was kind of in the mood for something spooky and this case is definitely falls into the category of more historical spookiness rather than murder although it depends on how you look at it We'll get to that later. There's an airplane going over if you can hear that. Sorry about it. Uh, so, yeah, this one's just kind of a spooky tale. I'm going to spin you a yarn today. And last week we were in the 2000s. Well, the week before that. we Last episode we were in the 2000s. So, for this one, we're going back a little f- back further than that. So... We're doing some traveling that we haven't done in a minute, so I'm excited about this one. So sit back, grab a snack, and let's travel back all the way to 1801 in Wales. setting of today's tale is a lighthouse. Now, when you think of a lighthouse, what is the first thing you usually think of? It's probably the function of it, which is to guide ships and other sea vessels to land safely. You shine a big old light through the storm clouds and they're able to see it and know where exactly they're located. That one tall tower of a building serves a huge purpose. It makes sure that cargo ships get in safe. It makes sure that ships with people on them get in safe. And without it, a lot of tragedies would probably happen. Now in the modern era, pretty much all lighthouses are manned by machines. So they're automated. And that takeover started to happen in the late 1960s. However... Before the 60s and all the way back in 280 BC when lighthouses were first invented in Egypt, lighthouses were manned by people. The lighthouse keeper's main jobs were to make sure that that light all the way at the top was kept fueled and lit whenever possible. Now, sometimes 
lighthouse lights had to be kept on 24 hours a day because of storms or rough weather. But a lot of the times they had set schedules. So it was ever the ships were coming in or dependent on how the weather changed during your shift was how you knew how to keep the light up. And different regions and different parts of the world call for different weather, which means the lights are going to turn on and off at different times. Along with making sure the lenses of the actual light were clean so the light could get through and making sure the oils were changed when lighthouses were running oil, they were also in charge of the upkeep of the actual lighthouse. So they had to paint it and clean it and repair it, which is why a lot of lighthouse keepers had carpenter skills, which will come into play later in our case. Along with the actual building, they were in charge of taking weather readings every day and keeping a log of all of their activities because a lot of lighthouses, not all, again, it's dependent on region, but a lot of them are out on islands that are off coast. So they are on their own little secluded island away from the mainland for weeks and months at a time, just depending on what the schedule was. So it was really important to keep a log so that people who were coming to replace you in the future knew what was happening, as well as when you got back to the mainland, you were able to report and things could be made better and more beneficial for future lighthouse keepers. Being a lighthouse keeper was actually quite the prestigious position, if you ask me. In 1789, the United States Lighthouse Service Foundation was founded, and it basically formed a union for lighthouse workers who really didn't have any of that before this, and they were now considered federal employees instead of just whoever owned the lighthouse. So that, to me, is pretty cool because... It was, and it still is today, but back then, specifically, when we had less forms of communication, the need for lighthouses and to keep them up was a very necessary thing to have. I mean, lots of ships would have wrecked, lots of goods would have been lost in the ocean, and lots of lives would have been lost if they were non-existent. So, they now had their own kind of place that they, it was considered like a really it's it's a nice job like it was it was it got promoted which is pretty cool a lot of lighthouse keepers went out to man the lighthouses alone you were gone for like i said before weeks and months at a time however there were many occasions where lighthouse keepers were allowed to bring their families it also just depended on what size of lighthouse you were going to but Many of lighthouses, especially ones that were on quite large islands or ones that were attached to the mainland, had little houses adjacent to where the lighthouse was. So you could bring your family, you could all live on site, and it was probably a much more enjoyable experience. This was a position that was predominantly held by men because 1700s and 1800s means, hey, man's world, hate that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> however, specifically in the 1800s, women who went to stay with their husbands or daughters who went to stay with their fathers while they were doing this job, if something happened to where the husband either had to or the father had to retire or they sadly passed away or they were too ill to work the job, the women would take over 
until they could find someone else to fill his place. Or a lot of the time, she would just keep that job until the end of her life. The option to bring your family was a great one, and to have the camaraderie and being able to socialize, even if it wasn't with a whole lot of people, it was still with people you loved and you cared about. However, the two men in today's story prove that that little bit of socialization is probably necessary, especially when you're working a job such as a lighthouse keeper. In Pembrokeshire, Wales, there is a lighthouse about 20 miles off the coast called the Smalls Lighthouse. And the reason that it's called this is because the little group of islands that the lighthouse rests on is called the Smalls. I use the term island very loosely here because... They're just a bunch of rocks, kind of. They're just some big old rocks. And I'll post the photos on the Instagram of it. But calling this these forms of, of, of rock and sediment an island is like calling a pond a lake. It just don't make no sense. But okay, they're islands. The Smalls Lighthouse was originally constructed in 1776. And it's basically just a bunch of pillars with the lighthouse area on the top. And then there's a small deck that kind of goes around in a circular motion. Again, we'll be posting these photos on the Instagram. But it it's very rickety looking because when you think of a modern day lighthouse, you think of a tower that's made of... I don't know what they make it out of, cement or stone probably. (laughs) And there's a staircase that goes all the way up, but it's enclosed. This is not enclosed. It's just a, it looks like when people put houses on stilts for when hurricanes come. It's just a, it's just a light and a deck on some stilts. And there's a ladder that you got to climb all the way up into the top part. And it's, It's the definition of rickety. If you look up the word rickety in the dictionary, this photo is going to pop up. It is about two waves away from being crashed over. However, 80 years after it was first constructed, it got rebuilt. And now it looks like an actual, what we would think of when we think of lighthouse. But the two people in today's story had to deal with rickety pillars. Speaking of the two people, I would like to introduce you to two middle-aged gentlemen by the name of Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith. And I do realize that both of their names are Thomas, so to beat the confusion, I will be referring to these men by their last names. What I would like to tell you is that these two men were the greatest of friends and the bestest of buddies that any two middle-aged white men in the early 1800s have ever been. However, this is a spooky story, so of course that is not the case. Griffith and Howell were both the neighborhood enemies. There are numerous occasions of them fighting with each other in bars, having screaming matches with each other, and the two of them could just never seem to agree on literally anything. There's not a whole lot of information about the two guys lives or anything to be quite honest I do know that the story happened because there was a change that happened that I'll tell you at the end so I wasn't able to find anything about their upbringings or their families I do know that both of them had families at this time when this is going on in 1801 so 
sorry I couldn't do the background that I normally like to do because I love to give you people's upbringings if it's applicable, but it was not for this one. And I don't know why, because there are many 1800s cases that do have applicable things, but maybe Wales has some sort of policy where they're not allowed to give out people's information. But this case did happen over 200 years ago. So, you know, maybe let's let that clause go. But nevertheless, the two are undoubtedly mortal enemies by all accounts and by everybody around them. So what better way to spend the rest of their lives than to be sent out 20 miles off the shore from the mainland to live with your mortal enemy in a stilted lighthouse that was 16 feet by 16 feet? It's not great, you guys. That that's the that's that was sarcasm because it's not. That sounds like a literal hell nightmare. But alas, that was what happened to Griffith and Howell. They were both hired by whoever ran the lighthouses in Pembrokeshire, Wales at the time to become the new lighthouse keepers and they were appointed in 1801. This would mean that the two of them would now have to find a way to live in harmony while also getting the job done, which means tending the light, obviously, and all of the other duties that I mentioned at the beginning. But with all of the duties of being a lighthouse keeper and being the hero of the seas, there also comes a lot of dangers. Natural elements were huge and probably the largest thing that they had to fight against when they were out there. Massive storms, flooding, you can't really tell what the waves are going to do until they do it. So you're also having to not only deal with water coming from the sky, but you're having to deal with water that's underneath you at all times. And one wrong wave could swipe those stilts right out from under you and that would be the end. Because lighthouses were ran by oil and wicks that needed to be trimmed often, they were kind of just like giant Yankee candles out in the middle of the ocean. Fire was another danger that they needed to watch out for. If the winds blew too hard and blew some of that oil onto the deck, you're, you would catch on fire and you really didn't have anywhere to go other than the tiny rocks of island that's underneath you and just hope for the best. Supplies dwindling was also another danger. They were never sufficiently stocked up on food and medical supplies that they needed because your whole life is out on this little island for months and months at a time. So if you run out of food, you have to wait for either a passing ship to get your SOS or someone on the mainland to get your SOS. And a lot of the times, if the weather was too bad, they couldn't see it. So Howell and Griffiths set out in 1801 to be the new Pembrokeshire Wales lighthouse keepers, knowing full well that not only were they going to have to be dealing with each other's emotional baggage, but they were also going to have to be dealing with the outside elemental baggage. Everything within the first couple of days went well, or at least as well as you can being a lighthouse toller in the 1800s. They did their duties, they kept the light aflame, and everything seemed to be at peace. However, in the coming weeks of their new position, things would take a turn. And that was a turn that I don't think Hal or Griffith could have ever prepared themselves for. (laughs) 
something happened to Griffith. That something exactly is debated upon between a freak accident or he got violently ill very quickly. And both of those things are plausible. The, again, it was the 1800s. That's the lesson for today's story. Is It was the 1800s. People were getting sick. People were dying. So the sickness is fully plausible. Like I mentioned before, being a lighthouse keeper, very dangerous job, specifically in the 1800s. So a freak accident is fully plausible. But the exact cause of whatever this incident was, while it is unknown, it is very known that Griffith, after just a few weeks of being at the lighthouse, died. Howell is now left alone 20 miles offshore with a now dead companion. Now you're probably thinking, this is an easy situation to take care of. They just alert someone at the mainland with their SOS signal or they alert a passing ship like you're supposed to do with protocol. The two of them get picked up, they get taken back to shore, and then they figure out what to do with the lighthouse positions when they get to it. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, right? Well, it would not be on my podcast if it was easy peasy lemon squeezy. In fact, it was the opposite. It was tomato breezy in in some Yeezys, okay? It was not great. Large thunderstorms started to kind of take over the coast of Wales only days after the two of them arrived there, which means that even before Griffith had died, they were already running low on supplies, which means less food, which means that if Griffith had died from an illness, he probably died a lot quicker because of their lack of sustenance. Howe was barely able to even keep ships coming ashore on the right track with how thick the fog was, how heavy the rain was, and how dangerous the lightning was. So it was nearly impossible for him to get any kind of emergency signal to boats or even the mainland. Howe also had another realization after Griffith had passed. People on the mainland know us as enemies. The only thing they've ever seen Griffith and I do is fight, whether that's verbally or physically. We do not get along, and everyone knows that we hate each other. So when I am rescued to go back to the mainland, and my partner is missing, they are going to blame me and think that I murdered him. Howell's original idea of how to dispose of Griffith's body was to give him a burial at sea, which was basically to just throw his corpse over the side into the ocean. And he was fully on track to do that until he had this realization. Hal had very minimal carpenter skills. He had to have some in order to keep up with being a lighthouse keeper because part of your job is fixing parts of the lighthouse that break. But he wasn't a master carpenter by any means. But he came up with the idea to dismantle some of the wooden furniture and some of the wood that was not being used and make a makeshift coffin out of it. He spent hours and hours and made what he considered to be the perfect coffin for Griffith, and his original plan was to keep his body preserved in that until they were relieved of their duties, and then he would go back to the mainland with the body to be able to show them that he didn't murder his partner. 
He was able to put Griffin's body into the new coffin, push it out onto the deck on the outside of where their living quarters was. He tied a bunch of ropes around it to make sure that it was secure, and he left him out there. His plan actually was working for a little bit. The coffin stayed out on the deck, he stayed inside, and the two were able to live in harmony, or at least as harmonious as two enemies and one being dead is able to live, until the wind started. It was one night when the winds were particularly heavy, the rain was particularly heavy, and the waves were particularly tough, when all of those combined crashed into the coffin, and it basically just annihilated the entire wooden structure. Luckily, Howell was okay, the lighthouse structure was okay, but Griffith was not okay. All of the wood from the coffin was now washed into the ocean, never to be seen again. Griffith's corpse now was lying in the window of the living quarters. In perfect view of where Hal could see it, it was also reported that because of the way that the body was positioned, that whenever the wind blew, it would make his right hand move, which meant that Griffith's body would, on occasion, wave to Hal through the window. This would be Hal's life for the next four months, surviving off of little to no food, living in a 16 by 16 foot room all by himself, no social interaction, in the middle of the ocean, keeping a light aflame 24 hours a day because of the severe storms, all the while having a dead body wave back at him all day and all night. caused Hal to descend into madness. He's seeing the same thing every day and every night. He's trapped in a tiny room out in the middle of nowhere and there is absolutely no sign of relief at all in the foreseeable future. That does something to a person's brain, all of those attributes added together. It makes you go a little bit insane. But no matter what was going on or what his mental state was, he always kept that lamp at the top of that tower lit. Many sailors on ships recounted passing the Smalls Lighthouse during this four-month period, and they said that nothing struck them as unusual. The light on the tower was always operational. The actual upkeep of the tower seemed to be in tip-top shape, and they always saw a man waving at them every time they drove by. They never saw a reason to stop. But after four long, grueling months of claustrophobia and isolation, Hal was finally relieved of his duties as the lighthouse keeper. And it is said that his family, once returned to the mainland, did not recognize him. He was a completely different man. He didn't talk the same. He didn't act the same. 
He barely spoke. And because of the malnutrition and nights of just completely going without food, he physically looked like a different human. No charges were ever filed against Hal for what happened to Griffith. And it is unknown of what exactly happened to Griffith's body, but presumably they were able to get it down from the top of the lighthouse. And because of this whole ordeal, there was now a new rule enacted that stated that at any given time, there had to be a minimum of three lighthouse keepers on duty at all times. There were many things in the media that were inspired by this case, one of which being a play called The Lighthouse that was on BBC Radio. It was an audio play. Uh, And the most recent thing that has sprung from this tale is a 2019 film called Aptly The Lighthouse, which is directed by Robert Eggers, who also directed The Witch, which is another great film by the production studio A24. The movie stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, and they both go off to be lighthouse keepers, and they descend into madness as they it says that they're supposed to do. It takes place in New England on an island, and the actual movie takes place in the 1890s, so it's almost like 90 or 100 years after the actual case of this takes place, but... The movie is very loosely based on it. It definitely takes a lot of the core elements of there being two people sent out to the island and things like that. But they take a lot of liberties with it, which is fine. It makes it more interesting. And it's honestly one of my favorite movies to come out in the last five, I would dare say, ten years. It's visually one of the most intriguing things I have ever watched with my four eyes. I wear glasses if you've never seen my face. Um... It's black and white. It's in grayscale, which is my favorite thing in the world. I wish more movies were made in black and white. Um, it's ter- The acting is terrific. The cinematography is amazing. There's obviously some mystical elements, such as like mermaids and things like that, that come into play that I don't think were in the actual story, but maybe they were. We, won't, we weren't there. We don't know. Um, but if not for the... It just being eerie, because I wouldn't really define it as a horror film, per se. I think it's more of a psychological horror, if we're going to put it anywhere. Because it didn't scare me. It just made me feel funny. You know? Like, I wasn't like, oh, I can't sleep tonight. I was just like, eh. That made me stressed out. I was stressed. This is a stressful movie. But visually, if, if not for the story, just watch it for the visuals, because it is genuinely one of the coolest looking movies I've seen in a long time. So as far as my opinions on this story goes, and I'm calling it a story even though it was a, it's a true story because there's photos of everything. Well, not photos, but you get what I'm saying. It was documented. There's, there's evidence that this actually happened. So I'm not just like talking out of my booty with this, I swear. Um, but my thoughts on this are reading about this and like listening to uh, videos and things like that that I've found on it this whole story stresses me out it feels like a real life horror film because although I do like to be alone I do not think I would like it to this extent because you're just it just imagine close your eyes for a second just let me let me take you 
it somewhere real quick. So just shut your eyes and just envision everything I'm telling you. Imagine you're on a little wooden boat. You're you're in the rocky seas. Envision like Maine. I think when we think of lighthouses, we think of Maine, although there is one in Florida and St. Augustine. But imagine you're on a little boat. You got your little suitcase. You're going. You get there. You, you climb up the long freaking staircase to get to that little room at the top. You look around. You're in a very, very tiny room that's like half the size of a trailer. And that is your life in that room with one other person or by yourself. Well, in this case, by yourself with also a dead person for months, months at a time. Not a couple days, months. And you have to look at a dead person in the window for four months of your life. And you have to be stranded in the middle of the ocean in a room and you can't go anywhere. And you're also in charge of other people's lives while all of this turmoil is going on. Because if you don't do your job, ships are going to crash and people are going to die. So it's, you can open your eyes now. Um, (laughs) Just that is, honestly, if you said, Victoria, what is your nightmare before this learning about this uh case i would have said my nightmare would have been to be like stranded out in the middle of the 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 like wilderness by myself and no way to get back home but now i have unlocked a new fear in my life which is being stranded in the middle of the ocean on an island specifically in a lighthouse I am already a claustrophobic person. I don't like small spaces. I don't like the water. So it combines two of my least favorite things. And on top of that, you got to live with a dead person. So it's not, it's not, no, it's not great. I honestly, I, I genuinely think that Griffith died from some sort of accident or illness. I personally think it was an illness, but You know, whatever the reason was, I don't think Hal did it because the fact that he even thought that like, oh, they might charge me for this kind of tells me that he didn't do it or maybe he did. I don't know. I personally don't think that he did it because what would be the point of that? Like what you're out in the like I keep saying you're out in the middle of nowhere. What are you going to gain from having a dead guy on your island like you're not? Um, it is fully plausible now that I'm saying this out loud that the two of them got in a fight in the freak accident with Hal accidentally killing Griffith. Um, so that could have happened too. But nevertheless, I cannot imagine the mental turmoil that he went through because not only are you dealing with claustrophobia, not only are you dealing with isolation from humans, not only are you dealing with the possible charges that you might get for mishandling of a corpse but all of that is being tied together by you have one of the most stressful jobs on the planet so to me I'm happy lighthouses are automated by machines I get they couldn't have done that back then because they didn't have the tech or the resources for it but I think sending two people to do any job in any sort of desolate area whether it be the desert or the ocean or the woods is a stupid idea because if something happens to that one person that other person is screwed it doesn't matter where you are like yes that other person is probably going to be able to survive but there's so much pressure put on them and also they're kind of just at the mercy of 
whatever's going on with the weather, specifically when you're out in the middle of the ocean. So I think from the beginning, they should have been sending groups of people. It it should not be a minimum of three. In my opinion, it should be at least five or more. You need a group. I get that you don't have a group to like of you don't have the space for a group of men to live there. But uh oh, then maybe don't have that situation happen maybe build lighthouses in areas that have room for boarding maybe don't build them on tiny rocks in the middle of the ocean this is just making me furious because as a modern human I'm looking at this being like why didn't y'all see all of the flaws in this but I digress um this is a very eerie situation this whole thing just makes me have the creeps and at the beginning of this, I when I was learning about the history of just lighthouses in general, I was like, okay, that job is actually kind of cool because you can kind of just chill and be by yourself and like read books and do your thing. I was like, that would be the perfect job for me. However, comma, while I do love being alone and I do spend a lot of time alone, I also on rare occasions do crave social interaction and I do know that it is necessary for my mental health and this is coming from a human who was like borderline agoraphobic when they were 16 and had to drop out of school because they couldn't be around other humans so it sounds appealing but when you really break it down the negatives of being locked in a lighthouse for years not years, but months on end outweigh the positives, even for an an introvert like myself. So, uh, rest in peace to Griffith. Thank you for, even in your short period of time, providing a... I guess he did his job. I don't know how quickly he got sick, though. That's the other issue I have with this case, is how little information there is. Because, I think I said it in the beginning... 1800s there was documentation we started doing documentation then so I don't fully understand why there is such little info on any of this like I scoured the internet I went on page like 12 of google y'all I never usually have to go past like five I was in the deep trenches of the internet y'all so far to where my google made you know that thing when that pops up that's like we're gonna use you have to click this traffic light in this picture to verify that you're not a robot that popped up y'all I was deep in Google's I was deep in Google y'all at the end of the day R.I.P. Griffith I'm sorry Hal's life kind of if you think about it his life kind of ended after he got off of that island and I think the only reason he was able to stay even the slightest amount of sane was because he had a job to do him keeping that light lit was what was keeping him from fully going off the wall like he was. And I think leaving that position, even though it was necessary for him to go back to his family, I think that's probably what caused his very rapid decline when he got back to the mainland. Since 1801, this case has been forever known and will forever be known as the Smalls Lighthouse Tragedy.
so that's going to do it for this little spooky, spooky, ooky historical jaunt. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my little lighthouse history at the beginning. I actually like fell into a wormhole trying to reading about lighthouses and different events that have happened at other lighthouses. And it's scary, man. I was not aware of the 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 long strenuous history of lighthouse and lighthouse keepers but it was very fascinating i'm such a nerd i'm such a history nerd if i could be a historian and like work at a museum and not have to do all those years of college i would do it there's another plane going over i'm sorry um we live like right in the path of an airport and it's normally fine and i don't notice it but i do notice it when i'm recording a podcast (laughs) um so as always would love to know what you think of this case please feel free to let me know i love hearing you guys opinions and things like that um so next week i'm actually gonna do an episode i'm already have it planned it's a hundred percent a go it's gonna be the christmas crime traveling extravaganza uh we're gonna have a fun time because i realized i was like it's christmas eve on a friday which would be the day I would release this podcast. And I know I've been doing it every other week, but I want to give you guys a Christmas present and that's going to be the extravaganza. So it's going to be a super long episode and I'm going to read some crazy news stories that have to do with Christmas. It's going to be super chill and fun and we're going to make jokes and we're going to make ha-has. And I just was like, I have to I have to give y'all something for Christmas. So that's going to be my Christmas gift to you guys. So expect that next week on Christmas Eve. And I also know because I don't think I'm doing anything on actual Christmas. So I not that it's going to be lonely. I'll probably like hang out with my grandparents and stuff. But I know a lot of people sometimes the holidays can be hard. And on Christmas you may not have plans or you may not get to see the people that you want to because of Miss Kavad or any other situation that might be going on so I know that I around holidays I always love it when podcasts release things because it's like I get to just have some friends and hang out and I'll make food for myself and listen to a bunch of podcasts and it's great so uh, I want to do that for you guys because you guys have literally made my year so yeah next week we're gonna read some stupid news stories a lot of them coming from florida not on purpose but they're all gonna be christmas themed except for a couple and then the second half of the episode i really want to be a q a so even if i only get like two questions it's fine it's gonna end the podcast so um if you guys have any questions please feel free to go over to the instagram and on the facebook i'm gonna make a i'm gonna post it in the stories Uh, a a thing where you can submit a question I'm also going to make a separate post where you can comment under the post or you can even comment under the post for this episode any questions that you have for me and I'll collect all of them and I'm going to post it on my Instagram story too um, and I'll post it over on the Facebook page and yeah just whatever you want to ask me it doesn't even have to be true crime related it can be like what's your favorite animal it can be how tall are you it can be uh if you were in a death match with uh, a unicorn would you win like I don't care it can be true crime related too but it can be anything you want anything you want to know about me the show my life I'm an open book uh I go to therapy so I have no problem sharing my emotions and <laughs> my life with you guys so um yeah feel free to do that uh and I should probably tell you the handles to submit that to so you can 
Go to Crime Traveling Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can go to my personal Instagram, which is at It's Victoria Tribble, which is uh, uh, T-R-I-B-B-L-E is my last name. Um, and what else? Oh, and if you want to read my writing or you would just like to learn about the podcast, you can go to crimetraveling.wordpress.com and check out my blog post over there. And yeah. So yeah, next week's going to be so much fun. And I didn't, I purposely picked the articles like a few days ago and I, I have a terrible memory. So I already forgot what the heck the topics for a lot of them are. So I'm going to be as surprised as you are. I didn't read any of the articles. I just picked them based on the, the titles. So it'll be a fun time. I'm so excited. All right. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day, evening, or night whenever you're listening to this. And I will see you next crime. Bye-bye.